This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey, traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step Trader, and this is Limit Up. That's where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. I'm joined today with Dan Hodgman, one of our performance coaches. Hello, Dan. Hey, Eddie. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. And you, sir? I can't complain. I was uh, happy to be here. That's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm glad that you're here because <laughs> uh, we've got a uh, great podcast to talk about here. Now, Dan, now we're going to continue our conversation with market wizards and trading legends this week. Our guest this week is Tony Saliba. Now, for anyone out there that hasn't read Jack Schwaggard's Market Wizards, I suggest that you do. Uh, Tony was an options trader that, well, like so many of us, n nearly went broke when he started trading. Dan, how did he stay in the game? Well, you know what, Eddie? He did what so many traders do. You know, we, we have to slow down, look back, take a look at what we're doing, cut down our size, take a look at exactly what we're trading, and uh, find something a little less volatile, a little more comfortable that he could start to educate himself in, where he could start to learn and really hone his skills. And uh, ultimately, he was able to put, put together 70 months of six-figure gains. That's unbelievable. It, it is. Seven. Can you imagine month 71? What the? <laughs> what? Um, 70 months of six-figure gains. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's it amazing. Is. That's one of the problems a lot of traders have is they they want to see the money. I want to see the money when I trade. You know, No but doubt. The thing is, if you stay away from it, it sort of keeps you on track a little bit longer. Yeah, and I think you know it's important to note that it's he wasn't coming in this looking to make that six figures every month. He was looking at it trade by trade, step by step, that we can't always put that notion in our head that I need to achieve X amount every month. That's just, right. it's really important to note that. Right. All right, Dan, are you ready? Yes. All right, let's kick things off here. This is my conversation with trader Tony Saliba. It's a great honor to have a conversation with my guest, Tony Saliba. Anyone who has heard of Tony needs to know one phenomenal stat, just this one, he had a 70-month consecutive winning streak where he made at least six figures in profit a month. All right, figure that one out. Write it down. Six figures a month times 70. All right, big. But it wasn't always so easy for him. Now, one thing, we'll get into this, how he was able to get to the point of his career uh, where he had those types of gains. But right now, I uh, just want to get Tony in here. Tony has also trained hundreds of option traders around the world in all types of different markets with large presence now in China. Now, Tony is a CEO and founder of Matrix Holding Group, leads a broker-dealer and trading technology group. He's also the author of Managing Expectations, a book on option trading. And Tony, honestly, it is awesome to have you here today. Thanks, Eddie. My pleasure. All right, Tony, I read your chapter in Market Wizards, and related how you began your career in the business, uh, beginning from all the way from being a caddy and caddying for a, tr a big trader, uh, finding your way to an open door on the trading floor, uh, getting that job, uh, 
making a presence on the floor and getting your name around. And this way, it sort of opened up a lot more doors for you. Tell us a little bit about the beginnings. I mean, this is, as I'm reading, I'm like, wait a minute, this is great. I, I used to caddy and, and I put my foot in the door. I got a job. But tell us about your beginnings. I did caddy from 12 years old to 21 years old in the summers with a couple summers where I worked road construction in there in those uh, 10 years. But um, I went to school on an Evans scholarship. I'm currently a director of WGA. So the caddy program is in my blood and I caddied for a lot of um, uh, board of trade members uh, that I really didn't understand what they did at the time. And I went to school to be a broadcaster, actually. And halfway through my freshman year, my counselor, a job counselor, college counselor said, you know, you think you're going to replace Harry Carey, who at the time was the White Sox, um, voice of the White Sox. They said, that's a one in a million long shot. You're crazy. And you're never going to make any money in journalism. Journalists at the time were making about $5,000 a year. And I said, all right, well, what field is the right field to be in? And they said business. So I said, okay, well, who makes the most money in business? They said accountants. So I went into accounting Ed, and I hated it. <laughs> uh, I, I slogged through and my senior year, I was graduating in literally three weeks. Uh, I'm with some alumni at Indiana. I'm in the water uh, monitoring paddle boats for a race that they have every year down in the freezing lake. And one of the judges, alumni in, in the boat, says, uh, Saliba, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't really want to be an accountant. And they said, do you ever think about being a broker? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I get it for these guys, these being brokers and mm -hmm. bond brokers. I guess at the time there were just beans and bellies and other grains. And um, he said, why don't you come to work for us in Indianapolis? And I'm thinking, what exchange is in Indianapolis? <laughs> right. What, you know, what's that? And, and I'm here, I'm thinking, Eddie, that I'm going to be on the phone going, hello, New York, bye, Chicago, sell, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was a account executive in the midst of the Jimmy Carter malaise, if you recall. Mm, I recall. Yeah. So I gutted that out for about a year, uh, bopping around the state of Indiana at the ripe old age of 22, uh, <laughs> trying to sell economic development bonds to farmers. Now, imagine a couple, I'll tell you a couple of things that I haven't really shared with a lot of people. One, you go to, you do the cold calling as a rookie, as you, as you know. So they give you the, at the time they were like Rolodex cards of, the wealthy farmers, if you want to call them that, of the day. And you set up the, the, the meeting, you get to their house just before dinner time, and here you are, 22, thinking you're kind of hip, 
and you're in the household of predominantly retired or near retirement farmer and his wife trying to sell them uh, uh, economic development bonds, which at the time were carrying like a 20% uh, coupon, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what do you know about investing? You're right out of college. So <laughs> the chicken and egg thing never sold a bond, okay? So that's the, the first thing. The, the second thing is that back then, you're probably too young to remember yourself, but a really busy day in the stock market, a really exciting banner day would break 10 million shares, okay? I remember, I remember the day that Carter made an announcement, gold shot up tremendously, and we did 11 million shares. And I forgot exactly what it was, but it was one day in 77, or early 78, and it just, there wasn't any business, wasn't any, you know, turnover. So I said, who makes all the money in this industry? And they said, the guys on the floor. And I said, see you later. I'm right. going back to Chicago. And, you know, I was in the seat there for nine months before I, it was, um, it, it, a lot, some of your listeners may have read about this, but in April of 78, the stock market crashed up, literally crashed up. I mean, people talk about it today. We're having a melt up or, you know, upside surprise or other, all the other happy horse hockey that people say in the marketplace when the market extends its gains to the upside. But literally in April of 78, they could not open stocks because of the Buy demand was off the chart, coupled with an options expiration where back then people were paying something the day before expiration for far out of the money calls, and there was a massive short squeeze. In fact, stop me if you've heard this, but they couldn't open IBM that day. They had to open IBM Monday morning. That Friday expiration of April 78 cost a lot of guys their livelihoods because they blew out. They were short calls and all these stocks ran through their strikes. And for years, literally three, four, five years, people would say, Hey, what happened to Eddie or what happened to Tony? And people would say on the floor, Oh, he blew out in April. And we just referred to that event by the name of the month. And it was four or five years before that became not a thing. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's when I started on the floor right. um, in 78. And it was just because I kept asking, well, you know, what's better than this? What's better than this? And when I got down to the CBOE in uh, 78, and I was five years late to the game, um, you know, from the standpoint of initial launch, but it was still um, a primordial ooze, if you will. Right. And there was a lot of rules that had to be changed and a lot of um, uh, conventions that were being set up. And there was a lot about trading options that a lot of people didn't know. So I was really fortunate in my timing. Yeah, the thing is, too, um, it, you know that the market is forever 
evolving. I mean, even as we speak, it's changing. Tomorrow it's going to be completely different. Um, As it evolved and uh, as these situations came up, uh, some of the times they really didn't have a a fix or they weren't anticipating what might happen. And uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. Now, your story, famous story of one uh, of your first trading account. Um, here's the setup. All right, gaining 50% quickly, then losing 80%. And everybody listening here that has traded is probably like, well, yeah, it's, I did the same thing. Uh, but you realize with the help of a mentor that uh, you were taking too much risk. Uh, you, so you switched to another pit and you switched to a different product. Can we sort of go back to that? Give us a story on that. Uh, you know, we tell traders a lot to take it slow, take it small, basically mm-hmm. slow is fast, fast is slow. It, it sounds like what your partner was telling you and and how did that sink in at the time? Well, what's really fortunate for me, Eddie, is that, um, that I had, you know, a lot of people around me that I could ask questions of and get some legitimate answers. Uh, I clerked for, you know, better part of six, seven months um, for a guy who was successful at the time. And I thought I knew everything, you know, and I couldn't wait till um, I was backed by a, um, a guy I caddied for. Uh, he was, you know, God rest his soul. He passed away a few years ago at ripe age of uh, 93. Um, and I caddied for him for many years. I was never that close to him because he was just a very private guy, but he was in the game that I, my steady loop uh, played all the time. And he was a wonderful man, man, Julian Good. And Julian saw me on the floor and saw that I was a clerk and he said, uh, he was a very, he's a tall man, uh, six, 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 seven, very, uh, reserved, deep voice, uh, almost a dark soul. Tony, you know what you're doing down here? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do Julian. And he said, Hmm, maybe you can show me. Well, he had a women's haberdashery business that he had sold. And so many guys down on the floor at that time were just, they bought seats. They were down there kind of gambling. It was an interesting thing to do and a way to get out of the house. And you know what? Maybe make some money. I mean, there were people that were cleaning up, selling premium to customers who were overpaying at the time. So I put on a spread in Teledyne, one of the stocks that the guy I was clerking for trade, you know, traded in and made Julian money within five days, a lot of money, you know, percentage wise, he was shocked. He said, I said, you you should take it off now. We took it off. And he said, can you do that? again and i did it I said, yeah you know I, presto i'll find something yeah and i'll you know it was like a ratio vertical spread or something and then i did it two times in a row and he goes can can you repeat that can you do that over and over and i said well yeah i'm pretty sure i can so we started a partnership and i jumped in head first and as you can imagine 
uh, I went in, you know, palms in, buying everything I could, bought a lot of premium. There was a continued premium ex- premium expansion for a couple weeks. He started with 50 grand. Trading account went up, you know, pretty well, reasonably well. And I didn't get out of anything. And then, boom, they pulled the rug out. And what was about a seventy or $75,000 account at the time, which, you know, was up like 50% on the account, 40% dropped to 15 grand in like six or seven days. And he was mortified. And he said, you know, you run out of this money and that's it. It was not even, it was less than six weeks in. And I didn't know what to do. Um, So, you know, I blew out of the, the positions in Teledyne. Most of them, almost all of them, got him in a safe position and started to do some soul searching. And at the time, the CBOE had a um, member's lounge upstairs where um, most of the older guys would go up there and you could smoke on the floor, could smoke up there at the time, not on the floor, but in the member's lounge. Right. And, uh, you know, there was my partner always in the same corner with his, you know, buddies that he played gin gin rummy with and uh smoking a little black tipperillo cigar um and he said why don't you talk to these guys over here okay and they were also older you know i'm 23 and at the time and these guys are you know in their early 50s late 40s or whatever they were trading in boeing and boeing was trading around 30 dollars a share and literally would have a large movement day would be a half a point, okay? And most days we traded back in fractions, as you know, back then. And most days we trade an eighth a quarter, and the options didn't move very much. So I talked to these guys and said, you know, what, you know, how do you make a living in there? Well, long story short, they basically helped me understand some tenants that I still use today that were connected to my accounting roots to do a pro forma. How much do you want to make each month? What, you know, what can you survive on or what is your minimum that you'll accept? Break it down, go for that every day, maybe a little bit more and figure out a strategy that is well within your capital and work around that strategy and make that strategy work rather than be a gunslinger and try to blow it out every day. Right. So I stood with these guys and you can also imagine Eddie as things are today and what's left in the few crowds that are still left on the floor, things were very territorial and nobody needed another mouth to fill to feed. Okay. And here's this young kid who was going to stand in a crowd of maybe six or eight traders and carve up part of the paper that was coming in that literally was already spoken for by the other six guys. And, 
you know, they looked at me with a little bit of a jaundice eye and didn't like the fact that I was doing that. Mm -mm. But these two guys who were friends of my, my partner said, look, let him just, he's going to be okay. Let him in on some of this stuff. And what I, what I did was, and it's, you know, I've talked about it before and it's been written about, it's just a very regimented disciplined process of making my markets, holding my markets and only trading on my markets and not stepping up or selling down and working simple spreads, whether they be verticals or calendars or diagonals or some other relationship that you let the paper put you into the trade and take you out of the trade. Okay. Well, those things aren't really that doable today for people who are trading today because a, they're not, making markets, B, the markets are a lot tighter, C, the flow is not yours to decide whether you take it or not, especially if you're, you know, a customer trading on the screen. But the underlying theory of the discipline still holds true today. And that that is to decide what you're going to do and stick to it and analyze what you're doing. If it's successful, do more of it, eliminate some of the, the baggage or the unsuccessful aspects. And if it's not successful, break it down and find and figure out why it's not successful to um, enhance it or possibly even um, uh, change that plan. So I'm standing in Boeing and I'm trading the calendars and the verticals and I'm there maybe two months, three months. I think it was, I, I think I went in there in, in uh, June and it was early September. And I have this remnant of a position on Intelladyne that I was waiting for it to move. The last vestiges of my long vol position. And lo and behold, news comes out and tell. Teledyne, IBM, Honeywell were all pro- proxies for the market. These were pre-S&P 500 in- tradable indexes. These, This is pre-long pre-ETFs, okay? And when money came into the market, they went for bellwethers, which were those names I just mentioned, Superior Oil, a lot of, lot of companies that are gone, right? And Teledyne was one of them. So I, I, I see the stock start moving, was starting to rally, and I went, I'll be right back. And I ran into Teledyne to just try to, you know, leg out of this position with literally like 10 weeks of disciplined practice and disciplined training with these guys in this very austere crowd of Boeing. And all of a sudden... I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is easy in here because this stuff's moving. You can leg it a lot easier. And I took that position off, made a lot of money in it, and I'm looking around. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay here for another minute or two, see what's coming in. The paper was flying in, and that was in September of 78. 
and I didn't really leave. Okay. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> you know, and the next thing you know, I was kind of ruling the crowd. And it wasn't until um, the um, CEO uh, kept buying back stock and he basically took the stock down to such a small float that it was almost impossible to trade. And um, uh, I went into the uh, uh, S&P 500 pit when they launched. I was one of the original guys to go in on the relaunch. There was literally five of us in there. Now, uh, you know, there's, you know, 300 or something. But um, when I went in the S&P 500 pit, when they made it European style, which, which is what fixed the contract. So I learned a lot in those 10 weeks of discipline. I will say I did my freaking homework every single night. Okay. I still do homework every night. Uh, I've started many businesses. Um, I still have traders. I'm in and around the industry from a uh, technology standpoint. And I still do my homework on what we're doing every single night. I mean, not so much on the weekends anymore. Back then I would, not all night, just for a while, just to be prepared for the next day. It is a trait worth uh learning uh living it and you know an ounce of prevention right a pound of cure or you know uh you know tony that i mean that it's so important people don't i should say traders really don't take that at hand about doing homework. They think that just coming up here, flipping on some switches, I got my monitors up here, let's see where the market's moving, let's go for it. Uh, you know, back when when it was open outcry, we, we didn't have the monitors, we didn't have the screens. If, you, if we did, you'd have to wait in line uh, before you could print up a chart of your markets. Right. But right. as, you know, there was a lot of us doing homework on the trading floor as the market was moving, charting, physically charting, uh, and and working with others that had information and sharing the information. Uh, you know, nowadays you, you see a lot or you hear a lot of uh, shortcutting, half-assing. Uh, and, you know, I tried to stress that point where, you know what, hey, you, you got to do it. This is something very important. You, you got to do your homework. Uh, you got to know what the possibilities, what the opportunities uh, might lay ahead. Look down the road, you know, to see what might happen. But it's, it's very good that you brought that point out, how important it is. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, um, I had a uh, coach in high school who would correct people often when they would say um, practice makes perfect, okay? And he would say, no, that's not accurate. Perfect practice makes perfect. So just thinking you're doing your homework every night without actually having some tenets of practicing perfectly will be a waste of time. And um, what I learned from those guys in the bowling pit, what we've taught in our programs over the years is to um, how to practice more efficiently, more perfectly, and how to focus on uh, concentrated aspects of uh, study or preparation so that you get the most out of that right. and 
not waste your time. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it's an acquired, you have to train yourself how to practice and how to do homework properly. Right. Now, Tony, old habits, new habits. Now I still have old habits that haunt me every once in a while, but being in the business for over 30 years, I, I can catch it pretty quick. Uh, what would you suggest for a trader that, uh, that probably traded, you know, let's say a year, maybe two years, had some bad habits, trying to turn those over, at least get rid of those and fill those in with good habits. What would you suggest to a trader to, to rid those old habits, to put those old habits to rest? I mean, I know it's a buzzword these days. Uh, I cannot stress mentorship enough. I don't care who you are or how gifted you are. You cannot exchange IQ for experience. Um, now, you know, that's a broad statement and it needs some clarification. So what I'll say is that not all mentors are created equally. Obviously you need a good communicator. You need someone who has an experience of a guy that works for me that um, he's been with me for 20 years. And when we met, he said, uh, I want to work for you. Uh, you've made millions. And my dad used to always say to me, you know, if you want to be the best batter on the team, you don't go and talk to a guy who's a great bowler. You seek out that batting champ or that guy who's hitting 300 consistently and hang with him and see what he does and ask him questions and observe what is making a difference in his approach. And I mean, you know, I've learned from the people that I work with uh, and I try to teach them. So mentorship or mentoring is what is the big difference between success and non-success or success and failure with big trading shops and uh, do-it-yourself self-directed traders. Now, does that is that 100%? No. There are gifted people that can figure things out on their own, and they use surrogates for their mentorship. They maybe okay. read more or watch more video or or end up talking to some people, but for the most part, those individuals who listen to people who've done it before, who have success and um, are imparting those pearls uh, have a much better chance at success. So it's mentorship. And it's as simple as this, you know, I want to, so we've gotten into the, crypto space in the past year. And I, you know, I've started reading about um, Bitcoin right when it was made known in 09 or early 10. We had a, we had a guy who wrote for it uh, in our research department. I, I love to read him. So I was reading everything he put out and I thought it was interesting. And so after a couple of years I, of reading about it or 15 months, I said, okay, that's cool. I know everything I need to know put it down, got busy with something else. And, you know, before I knew it, you know, five plus years went by and I wasn't involved. 
I wanted to get involved last year, so I sought out people who had been doing it, started asking them questions and immersed myself. But it takes mentorship to get up that curve so people can redirect you in a very human sense, okay? So that's, you, le- you can learn discipline. Now you can, get a, you can get somebody who claims to be a mentor that doesn't have a, a lot of good habits and you, you're gonna be in trouble. Right. Yeah, I, I think with us being on the trading floor and, and us having that opportunity, yeah, same position is, there were some people that wanted to be a mentor didn't really stack up. There was others that didn't want to be a mentor, but they had all the right information. So it was like a pick and choose. You know, when I was on the trading floor, I was a sponge and I'd absorb as much information I could uh, and then I'd filter it out, use what I needed. Um, And, you know, that's what I share with a lot of the listeners about being a sponge. There's a lot of educators out there, but take, uh, you know, take and choose what works for you you don't have to use it right away file it away if there's decent information a decent educator file it away and maybe later on down the road you can pull it out of your file cabinet and and use that and use it now we talk about goals now my mentors the ones that i really took a liking to would quiz me and and ask me what's your goal for today what's your goal for the week i use that again with with my listeners with with traders people that i try to mentor you know have a set plan tony how would you recommend traders set goals nowadays since you're you're a mentor for many many traders depending upon your purpose or desire for trading is it for your absolute livelihood? Is it to enhance your income? Is it to um, uh, increase your assets of an already reasonable nest egg? Is it for fun? Is it a, you know, shoot the lights out alternative to going to Vegas? I mean, not everybody sits down in front of a machine to trade these days for the same reasons. And depending upon, I don't care what you say, it isn't all about, well, I just want to make the most I can because that, you know, doesn't, isn't necessarily a reasonable guide. So if it's your livelihood and you're counting on this to be your career, um, you would have a different approach to things than, well, I'm, I've got a nest egg and I want to enhance my returns through a bit of trading on a part-time basis and your risk-reward profile, if you will, is going to be different than that of grinding it out for your living or shooting the lights out for some fun. So, that's where I would start in saying, well, you know, how much do I need to make every day? You know, what is my intended target? And that's, you know, where I would start with that goal. Because so, so the market can give to everyone. There's enough in the market to give to everyone. Depending where you live and who you are, a six-figure annual income is a pretty 
admirable income. Sure. And particularly if you look at globally, okay? So if you start to add smart young men and women in India or in China or other parts of the world where incomes are considerably and drastically different than they are in the West, and particularly in the U.S., a $50,000, you know, $4,000 a month uh, income in India, you live like a king. Okay. So the market can give to many. It's just that someone like yourself or myself, who've been doing this for a long time, may not find it interesting to sit in front of a machine all day for four or eight or $10,000 a month. Okay. So different lifestyles, different goals, different objectives uh, in, in terms of um, revenue generation or, or compensation uh, achievement um, will dictate your style of trading, your discipline, how you approach, um, how you approach trading. Um, I worked um, in the early days with psychologists and therapists to understand different personality traits of the traders that I had, different aggressive and and passive um, tendencies. So, you know, not everybody can trade options. I I can't sit and scalp futures. You know, we're all predisposed to different things. So setting your goals are are really a factor of all those components, Eddie. And there isn't one size fits all. Uh, There's soul searching. There's an understanding of, of where you want to be, but the market can feed many, 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 many people when you consider simply um, uh, Forex, U.S., or I'm sorry, equities, options, and futures globally. Uh, there's enough uh, in the money river to feed a lot of people at very reasonable annual incomes. Yeah, the thing is, you had to find the right market, something that fit your characteristics. You had to be in there for a bit. You had to know it was almost like a marriage, you know, as you're, you're sort of like like the one market you were telling what uh, Teledyne, you know, you, you sort of jumped in that pit. You, you liked it. And you're like, well, you know, I'm going I'm to stick around. I'm going to I'm going to give her a call again. Maybe next weekend. We'll see what we can do. And, right. And it, it, it grew. And, you know, it was it was good for you. And I mean, that's what we we look for in trading is something that's going to sort of pat us on the ass. Uh, you know, we, we'd like to say each and every trade, but we know that's not going to happen. And of course, you know, with a relationship, if some of us are married and some of us aren't or dating or whatever, you've got those, you've got the good along with the bad. And of course I'm going to throw it in there and put in the ugly. It, it, it all goes hand in hand. Now, one of the things uh, that you did was you kept building your strategy building it, building it, building it, building it. Um, now, some strategies, I've had some strategies, other traders have had, they work, and sometimes they didn't. You know, I, I've heard you mention Forex options in other interviews. Now, mm-hmm. how did you decide to pull the trigger? How did I decide to pull the trigger on on which strategies or on which asset classes? Let's let's say the strategies. That's something. I mean, 
different markets. You know, a lot of times yeah. there's guys on the trading floor. They they jump in one one pit, all of a sudden they'd be zooming across the floor to another pit to another pit. Yeah. And it's well, well, I'll just say that I had a really bad experience in FX, so I wouldn't rec. I mean, my time in currencies, I I traded currencies for two years when there was a G8 and there were still currencies. I traded uh, dollar yen, uh, Deutschmark, Frenchie, and uh, a little bit of the Canadian. And and uh, was this at the C? Was this at the CME? Sibo uh, um, um, traded large um, spot options for two years. Okay. I, okay. But I had I had banking lines with all the major banks. I mean, it was a multi million dollar operation because I lost multi millions of dollars, and it was uh, I learned a lot. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I became comfortable with the quote track, which is the original, uh, mobile quote machine. And, uh, you know, the, the reality of it, it is that I, I, I got burned because, you know, FX options traded and reacted differently than, than equity options. So that was a long time ago. And, I understand it's a great marketplace to trade today. Just the spot effect, you know, forex spot. But um, you know, I would always choose something that would move. You know, I like to trade vol from both sides, and I had a lot of friends that just wanted something that wasn't going to move, and their deal was they wanted you know time to work for them and just sold premium. So. Um, uh, so that's you know how how I chose my strategies were basically um, I mean at the time I always was looking for uh, reasonably low risk and um, a meaningful uh, reward or a meaningful upside. So that's you know that that's a, a review process mm -hmm. that I do or would do over and over and over again, you know, cause that there wasn't one strategy that I went to all the time. Although, you know, the butterfly was my favorite and it was because it had defined risk parameters, risk reward parameters had four, uh, three legs and four components to trade. Um, and it was uh, very, very flexible, very universal. And you could kind of, quote, set it and forget, forget it. it. Right. Uh, you used to like that. Set it, forget it. Um, yeah, some of our traders uh, turn into the broadcast and, 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 and so forth. Uh, I would call it the, uh, the phone clerk order uh, where – you know, you initially put your trade in, but just as a phone clerk on the trading floor. And, I, you know, I took, I paid my dues being a phone clerk uh, for First Chicago. And, uh, you know, the big houses would call in. You know, we'd have Deutsche Bank and uh, RBC, Royal Bank of Canada. And they'd call in and, and they'd put a big order in. And, you know, you'd, you'd put the order in the pit. You'd write it up. 
timestamp it, and then you'd go and do, you know, you wouldn't worry about it. And, you know, if you can have that mentality and not worry about it, not stress over it, set it, forget it, you know, put it in there and let it work and let it work for you. So that's something that uh, I, I share with a lot of our yeah, exactly. creators, you know. Totally agree with that, yeah. Now, we talk about some of the basics here in trading. Uh, always hearing that uh, patience, uh, you know, uh, management, discipline. Can we talk about discipline? You know, it's a buzzword in trading, and I'd like to see if, if you could take that buzz out of it. What is discipline in trading? Well, great, great question, and uh, I don't know if we have enough time to really cover the entirety of the answer, and I'm not sure I have the entirety of the answer at, at the tip of my tongue. But so, you know, you're, you're, first of all, you're spot on that it's a freaking buzzword, right? And um, discipline is something that I learned really early in life, okay? I, um, I was not, a, you know, I was not a child of means, uh, grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, if you will, and um, started working very early as a child, doing various things to um, earn some spending money, most of which would go in my, go in the bank, save up for college. It's the only way I was going to go to college. Uh, but when I became a uh, long distance runner in junior high, and then a few years later, a wrestler in high school, I really started to learn the various sides of discipline. In wrestling, the discipline come, would come in multiple factors, Eddie. Okay. The discipline of your diet, the discipline of your strength and um, endurance training, but then the discipline on the mat to not overreach, to not overextend, to not over um, um, maneuver so that a more uh, agile opponent would take advantage of your move. You know, I'm not someone who's versed in uh, martial arts or, or, or Eastern, um, uh, you know, physical warfare, but that's what happens from what I understand, that somebody takes advantage of a move that's too sudden or too great. And the same thing happens then, you know, throughout other aspects of discipline to be to be to guide yourself, to be mindful of your boundaries. And when it comes to trading, you know when you're over trading. Now, you don't know in the beginning because you if you did, then you wouldn't need to be talking about learning. I mean, you come yeah. to the table with that. But the 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 aspect of discipline that I learned through I overdid it. I ran too much. I dieted too much. Um, it was a little bit maniacal. You have to dial it back. But um, uh, I was someone who could go for very long periods of time um, in a disciplined sense, particularly in trading when Val was getting hammered. 
um, in the summer of 85. Uh, you know, we, we didn't have VIX, but we kept track of OEX uh, volatility at the time. Mm-hmm. And OEX volatility got down to 6%. It was unheard of. Right. And anybody who had any position that required any, uh, you know, being long volatility was getting crushed. I had massive long positions, but through gamma scalping and through, um, you know, other ways to find back doors out. I mean, it was not a good time. Uh, the desk uh, lost a lot of money for a while until uh, that fall when Val came back, but the discipline meant I had a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. Now, to, not every right. strategy allows you to do that though, right? Mm-hmm. So um, discipline mean, means knowing your boundaries, you know, truly understanding the tools that you have at your disposal, um, knowing uh, a second move. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, my, uh, sports experience, um, you know, in being able to know when to put on the, the final sprint in a, you know, two and a half, two and three quarter mile race, how to gauge my, uh, you know, endurance on the mat, things like that. You, you can see the uh, uh, correlations in life and then in trading. Exactly. Tony, can I ask you two more questions? Sure. Okay. The the one that I was saving for last, I want to talk about this 70 month, seven, seven zero months, six figure plus trading profits. Um, for 70 months, six figures. What was this about? Well, it started, it started in the summer of, uh, started in 80 summer of 82 and we had a tremendous uh bull market run okay and the uh you know standing in the pit and trading was phenomenal uh now i uh you know being a market maker there were months there were days i made six figures uh, there were days that, you know, I mean, it was written about during the crash. I made, you know, millions in a day. Um, but during that period, the uh, trading I did, the market making I did, uh, I was able to uh, cobble together um, all you know, a string of $100,000 a month or more consistently actually it probably started a little bit before that maybe in uh in the spring of of uh 82. now i mean just trying to fathom that that winning streak i mean it's better than oral hersheiser with the (laughs) i mean it's serious i mean this is like this is one of the uh, the hottest streaks i know of and being in the business that long, I mean, it's fantastic, fantastic. Well, you know, I I was the most active trader on the floor at the time. I um, uh, was 
maniacal at trading and I was pretty, pretty disciplined. I didn't, it worked. I hardly took any vacation time. Um, I, I actually, part of, part of my strategy in the early, when I told you that story about, uh, Boeing, the other part of the, the concept was that once you hit your number, <laughs> you know, then you could take the rest of the month off. So, you know, I set a number of, um, I think I set a number of trying to make $2,000 a month. I had to pay like $500 for my seat lease. And then I split the difference with my uh, um, partner and I could live on $750 a month. So I was literally cutting out sometimes in the middle of the month and then my partner called me and said, well, "Why are you only trading for two weeks?" I said, "Well, I hit my number, and I, you know, want to have some fun, and so on and so forth." And you know, he talked me into staying. And um, the the part of, that relates to you know the uh, your targets and the discipline and and uh, you know being able to do a hundred thousand a month or more was I didn't leave when I hit my targets. I just, I would stay and trade and I rarely, my vacation, I had a place in Arizona and I would head out on the bell on Thursday. I'd take three day weekends and come back uh, late on uh, Sunday night. So I didn't really vacation, but um, it was good. I mean, uh, that was the heyday of, being on the floor, mm -hmm. uh, I had figured out stuff that only a few people had figured out, and um, I was a workaholic. Now, Tony, I just want to thank you for being with us here today, and uh, it was great sitting down and sort of like a little yeah, coffee on each side, drinking coffee, just talking as friends. And Absolutely. I appreciate that deep down, and uh, very nice to have you here. Before you go, Tony... Where can people find you online? Well, I would say that they want to email me. They can email me at info at matrixx.com. That's M-A-T-R-I-X-E-X, matrixx.com. Or I'm on LinkedIn. And I think if you go to our website, Matrix Execution, uh, there's a spot to reach me, I'm. I try to respond to everything that people send me. Predominantly, younger traders do. I had a guy that wanted me to try a new food product <laughs> <laughs> that he was creating because he had heard that I uh, was in the restaurant business in another, you know, era <laughs> many many years ago. So was I. So I tell you, we're. <laughs> Running the same track here, Tony. Yeah, we're, 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 we're twin brothers from different mothers, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. But it's cool. It's cool. It's all cool. So so those are the main places, but um, definitely welcome that. Uh, I we, we care about, you know, options traders, people who want to get in the options business, uh, obviously traders of all kinds, futures and options and equities. But um, uh, always, you know, I'm mentoring you know, young people right now, I get people involved in the Evan Scholars program or caddy to hope to get them into the Evan Scholars program. So 
I think you can't do enough to give back. Right. And uh, that's just a thing right. uh, that you need to do. So happy to respond. I appreciate that. Tony, you're a good man. What goes around comes around, my friend. Back on what? I hope you're right, Eddie. All right. All right. You know what? Let me just say before you go, I had more questions to ask. <laughs> Hopefully we can get you back here again down the road. And uh, it was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. At, at your pleasure. Uh, I will do that. Absolutely. Eddie. Great. And I hope to see you maybe for a beer one night. Beautiful. All right. Okay. On me. Thanks a lot. Great. Take you care, take Tony. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, Dan. One of the things that stuck out was our conversation around discipline. Now, discipline, my goodness. A lot of us forget about that special word that uh, is such a friend to successful trading. Now, I tried to have Tony take that buzz out of the word. One of the things that he really hammered on was that discipline was a skill that can be learned. Now, so many times you think of it as a restriction. I know and I salute you, you're a Marine. Yep. Now, do you got any good stories about learning discipline? Nah. <laughs> of course you do. What's, what's one of the top stories, being a Marine, that you actually said, you know what, discipline is number one priority here? So, 100%. And I didn't know it was discipline at the time. Um but hearing all that, it kind of took me back to my time in the Marine Corps. I always go back to boot camp. That's really where that whole idea of discipline gets kind of drilled in your head, literally and figuratively. And um, I was guide of my platoon, so I was kind of in charge of my platoon. And we had what's called a guide on. It was basically a long flagpole. And I got in a little bit of trouble. I did something I probably wasn't supposed to do. And uh, my drill instructors decided to take it out on me. And I had to sit there holding this flagpole directly out. It was kind of a sort of a way of form of saluting with the guide on. And I cheated and I tried to hide it. And I was trying to hook my elbow on my pants and in my belt. And I walked away with a cut and wear and just a total rug burn almost on my elbow that lasted for close to two months and that's when i finally realized i was like you know what you just have to do what you're supposed to do because trying to skate around and trying to break the rules and you know shortcut it ends up hurting oh yeah shortcut half-assing it uh you, you're only hurting yourself exactly you're only hurting and, and that's when i finally learned it i just was like, you know what if i do what i'm supposed to do yeah it's gonna hurt for a short time but the end result is going to be a lot greater where if I'm shortcutting and if I'm not having discipline, that scab is going to last so much longer than that little short time hurt. You know, it sort of circles around to the word experience. And that's what Tony was talking about. I, I believe his quote was, you can't exchange IQ for experience. Now, well, that's self-teaching itself. All right. Mm -hmm. you, you need the experience. You need to be repetitive and do the same process over look at your options and look at the possibilities you know that's why it's really important to have a mentor to give you a direction you know that's why we have all the things we do video content you know we share experiences mm -hmm. and we help the trader grow yeah exactly no one no one does this alone you know we may you know fabricate and form our own plans and our own ideas but at the end of the day we we don't do this alone there's always been someone there a 
above us helping us, someone guiding us, someone just there to be, even if we, mentors don't always have to be smarter than us, they're there to kind of help us keep on track. And so I think it's really important to always have a mentor. And I, you know, I think it's great to show that Tony, you know, stressed that that was really one of his main keys to success in this industry. We got to have that. Right. Uh, another thing Tony was talking about was the monetary goals. Now, I mentioned uh, before the interview, you know, this is something we try to avoid is watching the monetary mm-hmm. effects of our trading. Uh, he related it more to defining the bare minimum. We say, don't do that. Don't look at the money. Totally, totally. And I, But I, what I think is important to kind of think about we do have to, because if this is going to be our profession, if this is going to be our ultimate living, we got to have an idea of just what it takes each day to scrape by, so to speak. So I know guys that would do it that I used to trade with, um, and they'd say, look, I need $70 a day to cover my expenses. So if I can make 70 in a day, that's a good day. And not capping what can ultimately be there. So that's kind of how I look at it when we when there is that notion or thought of putting a monetary goal on it. Uh, just what do I need to make it into the next day? Because you're a pick guy. You know how it was. I mean, our expenses right. on the floor were we had that was a necessity to make that kind of money. You know, you, on the trading floor, you'd always want to look at the money, but the thing is, you'd never talk about it. You talk to somebody, hey, I, you know, I had a good day today. I made, you know, 72 ticks. Yeah. You would never use the monetary term. No, not at all. But, I mean, I, I mean, I know my expenses every month that back in my mind, I had goals and I had numbers that I needed to meet. Before, otherwise, I wasn't coming down there for another month. Now, you mentioned goals, objectives. Uh, what is your mission? What do you want out of trading? Now, that's going to guide your goals. If you want to make a career out of it. You have to have a very different goal than someone doing it for enhanced returns. And once again, it sort of brings us back to money. Totally. Another thing that I talked with Tony was he worked on the psychological and tactical parts of trading. And I'll say it again, and I'll say it again, I'll keep saying it. The psychological aspect of trading is my number one priority. A hundred percent. I think you nailed it in there pretty good. You said so many people come in and just want to flip on the screens and go. Right. There's so much more work outside of that. Uh, And you know what? And and one of the highlights in the conversation was he did his homework every night. He'd get up. And the thing was, too, I was listening to him and I'm I'm sort of cringing like every night I got to do homework. Come on. Mm -hmm. I want to trade. But. That's what made him such a good trader for such a long time. Couldn't agree more. Do your homework every night and make sure that your mindset is clear. We try to cover both aspects at Limit Up. So lots more podcasts here at Limit Up. Educate yourself. Dan, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me today and uh, our listeners All right, traders, as always, thank you for spending time with us. And if you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us reach new traders. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll see you next week. Dan, we'll have you back on very soon. Thanks, Eddie. It's always a pleasure to be here. All right. Take care.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.